Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, I am so impressed with a phrase that we sang just a while ago, that you are good through the generations. Father, some of us here this morning can think back in our own families as far as our grandfathers grandmothers, maybe great-grandmothers and grandfathers who, who knew the Lord, loved the Lord, and knew the goodness of God and passed that truth along. Some of us here today can look down through the generations to our children, to our grandchildren, and sense with delight that, that the truth of God has, has taken root in their lives as well. And through the generations, the knowledge of God, the truth of God, the goodness of God has been known and felt and experienced. And Father, if we here today are the very first generation to come to know Jesus in our family line, then oh, what a, what a privilege is ours. What a testimony is ours that God broke into a long line of human beings and, and brought truth to you, to us. And we now would share it with those who come after us. So, Father, that was the truth of those in the first century, those in the very first church, those who were led of the Spirit to record the things that took place. And, and we ask now you would just bless us as we open your word to read the account of the very first human beings who ever on the face of this earth gathered together and called themselves followers of Jesus Christ and companions of the Spirit of God who had been sent. Bless us and guide us, we pray, for Jesus' sake and for the sake of his church. Amen. Now, let me just tell you, I doubt... I doubt very highly that many pastors last week, or any week for that matter, preached a message on the death of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the church that Jesus Christ, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, was building on this earth. Dying for Jesus is not one of the opportunities of the Christian faith that's very popular today, if ever. In fact, it is so unpopular and so little mentioned or acknowledged that many professing believers would be astounded to hear that the willingness to die for Christ is actually one of the entrance requirements for the Christian faith itself. It would surely be news to them that Jesus had said in this key scripture this morning, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would come after me. Oh man, how many evangelistic messages have included that phrase? How many people have urged over the years? How many times were we urged at some place in, in our lives to come after Christ? Come after Christ. Receive the guarantee of eternal life. Jesus said that he knew there would be many like that in his own day and in the days to come. And so he said, now if, if anyone would come after me, wouldn't it be great if he just said, they must come after me. Follow me around, be where I am. Learn what I say. But he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Set himself aside. 
deny himself. In a sense, that means he must consider himself dead for all practical purposes. I'm denying myself. I'm denying my desires. I'm pretending almost as though I don't even live and run my life anymore. I'm denying all that, setting all that aside. He must deny himself and take up his cross, which in those days was a very common instrument of death by the Roman government. He must take up his cross, I would say, in case he himself starts to come back to life again. I deny myself. I put myself out of the equation. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm putting myself aside. You could even go so far as to say, yes, it's like I died as far as me running my own life. But just in case that old me seems to spring back to life, I'm going to carry a cross around with me and and deal with it as soon as it happens. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and then, see, then follow me. Which means allow my life to completely define who and what he is. I bet there are many, many professing Christians, joiners, those who come along, those who enjoy some of the excitement of being in a big, happy place, who have never actually even heard those words. And to realize that's the entrance requirement. If the preacher were to say, how many of you, if that were the requirement to get through our doors this morning, how many of you would have come through the doors? Well, Jesus said that. Now, it's that living, though dead. Because, see, we didn't really die-die, did we? And Jesus wasn't asking people to commit suicide physically. He's just saying, lay your life aside and receive my life as, as what determines you from here on. So you're alive, though you're spiritually, and in these ways, dead. So we say that living, though dead reality allowed me to share last week's final thought in last week's message on Stephen this way. And here it was, last week's final thought. Anyone who dies with their faith intact, and we like to say that all the time, that's our goal, to come to the end of our life with our faith intact, not doubting, not despairing, not giving up, not just barely slinking toward our last breath, but trusting Christ wholeheartedly and joyfully and anticipating what he promises to us fully, our faith intact. And so we talked about Stephen last week, and then the final thought, I kind of made a jump into our own circumstance and said, anyone who dies with their faith intact is a descendant of Stephen. Because Stephen died that way. In other words, those who come to the end of their earthly life with their faith intact are those who have already died to self and its desires and to the world and all of its allures through their commitment to Jesus Christ and their surrender to the leadership of his Holy Spirit. Those folks, it can truly be said, have lived as martyrs for Christ, even though their physical life was never required of them. The Apostle Paul expressed it this way in our second key scripture, here in this introductory part of this message. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm sure some of you have heard of this one. Paul says now, he's confessing that he agrees with and has experienced what I've said so far this morning. He said, I, Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. Again, he used a term that his audience would be appalled by. Paul, when were you ever crucified? Nobody survives crucifixion. You're right here, Paul. You're talking funny. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
and I no longer live. They say, this is getting nuttier all the time. You're standing right here. We're hearing you talk. We're seeing you. We know things about your story. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ, through his Holy Spirit, lives in me. And the life I live in the body, see? I'm in, still in the body. That's why you can see me. You can hear me. You know that. Yes, Paul says, you, you weren't mistaken. Of course, I'm not dead. I'm here. I'm living in the body. I still have a physical life. But the life I live in this physical body, I live, you could say, not according to my own wishes and desires. I live by faith in the Son of God. Everything about me is given to him. Everything about me is because of him. Everything I do is influenced by him through his Holy Spirit. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul would make it clear that, that this is a, this is a, a, a condition for the whole Christian family. It's not just for him as an apostle, as though he were something so unique, so special, and they say, well, that's Paul. Paul made it clear that he was not the only one, but he was only one among many when he said these things in Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. He says, those, that's plural, those who belong to Christ, Those who've given their lives to Christ. Those who've confessed Christ as the Lord and Savior. Those who belong to Christ have crucified, there's that word again, the sinful nature with all of its passions and desires. See, they're dead to that. That part of their old life has been put to death. And then he says, we, meaning all of them and him, we live by the Spirit. What a powerful statement. That's a testimony in what? One, two, five words. We live by the Spirit. He guides us. He directs us. He empowers us. He informs us. The Spirit of God is our life. He breathes breath into us and, and we, uh, we live by it. Now, I want, to take us, I want us to take some time this morning, and I want us to reflect upon that reality. And let me just tell, me, tell you, I've picked up on last week's final thought and wanted to talk a little bit more about it, and even use Stephen again as our example, because for the first time in my life, this week I opened up the Bible, getting ready for this Sunday's message, and right after Stephen's death, we have the introduction of Saul. We also have a great story about Philip, who is also one of, uh, of uh, Stephen's buddies, one of the seven they chose. And, and it's like, okay, should we? How, how should, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit was saying, Mark, none of this. It's like when Paul says, I wanted to go into a certain place and preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit just said, no. That hasn't been a very familiar experience to me before. It was like there is something more here in this story of Stephen, and there's something more about that final thought you shared, because my mind was taken back there to say, we need to make sure that we really understand what the Lord is talking about as he shares this account, this marvelous event in the early church. You see, I want us to see and reflect upon the reality that show, so shaped the mindset of the Apostle Paul and all the other heroes of the faith in those early days. I want us to see that what it means is unless the Spirit is living his life within us, as believers now, I'm talking, unless the Holy Spirit is really living his life in and through each of us, we are not 
actually living at all. Not by God's standards. We're merely existing. We're functioning on some lesser level. Our lives usually, in that case, are, are actually no different or very little different from the unbelievers around us. We find our pleasures in the same things they do. The things that make them happy generally make us happy also. We get frustrated by the same things that frustrate them. The things that upset them and discourage them upset and discourage us generally. We tend to have the same goals for life as they do. We want to be healthy and happy and, if possible, even wealthy, just like they do. In contrast to them, we have the example of Stephen, the first of many martyrs for Christ over the years. And I want us to look at that just a little bit more carefully this morning. And I want us to go through a list of what I'm calling characteristics that we ought to have on our wall and say, this is who Christ through his spirit is making me. And this is what I want to be to serve him. You see, Stephen lived in such a way that at the end of his life, he was granted a glimpse of his glorious God and his exalted Lord Jesus just before he died. Now, I want to tell you this, using the terminology we're using today, Stephen had died long before the first stone hit his chest. His old life had been nailed to the cross, and his new life had made him a brand new man, a brand new kind of man. Soon he would hear the father's, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Therefore, I want to say today, every truly born-again believer, in reality, in the eyes of God, is should be a martyr for Christ. We are called upon to die daily for Christ. We all follow in Stephen's train. And it may be, not likely for us here in this country right now, but it may be, that there could be a person in this room right now who before they come to their, or will come to their physical death at the hands of those who hate Jesus Christ. It could certainly be. There certainly can be people in this room right now today who will come to the death of your employment because things will have changed so much in this country that your company and your people can no longer tolerate someone with your values. Dying for Christ. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that that can happen. But Paul says, the scripture says, with regard to our old nature, our sinful nature, we should already be dead. Dead to that. Deny yourself of that, these sinful pleasures, these desires that are just worldly in their orientation, and to say, you know, uh, I'm dead to that. What really excites me is, is feeling the pleasure of God upon my life and feeling the Holy Spirit being satisfied at the end of the day that, that I've been obedient to him and I, I haven't strayed. And, and even if I've made a mistake, I've been so quick to confess and, and, and apologize, as it were, that our fellowship wasn't broken at all. That's what I want to know. I want to die for Christ. And I want to stay dead. Lest all that ugliness come back into my life. And so as we look through it this morning, as I look through the story of Stephen again here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, I find today nine. 
nine characteristics of a living martyr. They're going to come out of Stephen's life, but I want us to say, this is a characteristic, this should be a characteristic of me, a follower of Jesus. And I trust as we go through this morning, you're going to recognize yourself. And a number of these... And, and feel the pleasure of God saying, continue, continue that. Die for Christ daily that you might live as a son and daughter of God and just show forth the power of the Spirit in your life. So let's go, let's get right through them. Number one, they were all found in Stephen, who was an actual physical martyr. A living martyr is, number one, full of the Holy Spirit. See, you can't be saved without having received the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as just receiving forgiveness of sins. There's no such thing as just receiving a, a home in heaven when you die. When you receive Christ as Savior, the biggest thing you receive is the Holy Spirit himself who comes into you with a new life who comes into you with a, a new focus, who comes into you determined to help you become as much like Jesus Christ as you can possibly become during the remaining days of your life on this earth. So a living martyr, first off, is full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, verse 6 says Stephen was. That means possessed, controlled by the Spirit of God. No ignorance of him, no resistance to his voice, no grieving of him through deliberate sinning and, and just going your own way, doing your own thing, no quenching of him, saying, I don't want any more to do with it. Walking out of church fellowship, quit reading the Bible, quit uh, even trying to, to live for Christ and just quenching him. The apostles told the people when a need arose, said, choose, choose seven men among you known to be full of the Spirit. And Stephen's was the first name listed. These are believers who stand out. The kind who cause us to say, now she or he's a real Christian. Let me just ask you, how many of you have ever met anybody Gotten to know somebody where you've said to yourself or to some friend, now, that person's a real Christian. Come on, have you ever met one? Whew, that's a relief. You didn't have to stand up and just give me kudos by saying, Pastor, you're the only one. <laughs> but we know what it's like. Or you can say, that person treated me like a real Christian should doesn't say they're flawless in every part of life, but, but it's like they really, I saw Christ in them, I saw truth in them, I saw honesty in them. You see, there's a quality of life in them, there's a submission to God in them that's evident to all who have themselves put faith in Christ. It would not be hard. It would not be hard to nominate such a one to a truly spiritual task. They would be the first one who comes to mind. It's obvious that the Lord, through his spirit, is leading their life. And, and Stephen was a person like that. Choose seven men right off the bat. His was the first name that popped up. He's that kind of guy. We could trust him. We, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's no longer just full of himself. A living martyr, you and I, Christ would have us be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's not a tricky thing. Linda and I talk about this from time to time. When we were young, uh, just going into Wheaton College, and it was spiritual emphasis week, and there were groups that were telling us students, you know, the most important thing is you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there were three or four things you have to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you ever get into trouble, then you got to go back and do those things. Are you filled? Are you? The Holy Spirit doesn't know anything except filling. When he comes, he fills you. That's what he does. You belong to Christ. He's brought new life to you. 
He doesn't come and just give you a teeny weeny little bit of himself. Say, now, if you really grow into it, I'll give you a little more. And I'll give you a little more. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, for heaven's sakes, bringing salvation and forgiveness of sins, he floods in. Now, the Bible says you can resist him. But you're filled. You got as much of him as you're ever going to get. Now, just let him do his thing. And let him control you. And sometimes we call that. He's so filled that you can tell he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like he just has this, this thing about him. Like he knows Christ. And he's pleasing God. Second thing, a living martyr is full of wisdom. Now, wisdom, it says that in chapter 6, verse 3 also. That they, Stephen was filled with choose men that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. That's the ability to apply God's truth in functional, workable ways in real life situations. God gives us the know-hows in the Bible so that we know how to live and to function in our regular life. Not to pass a theology test, but to, to successfully make it through the the situations of life, and to do it without uh, dishonoring God, and do it in a way that shows forth his nature and his goodness and brings about something that honors him. And it takes real wisdom to apply God's truth in a situation in such a way that God is pleased and people are blessed. Stephen had a lot of that. Now, the immediate task for which Stephen was chosen, you might remember, was one that required some real practical wisdom. Some of the widow ladies in the early church, those who had a, came out of the Greek uh, uh, culture, somehow, as food was being distributed to try to meet everybody's need, they were being overlooked. And, and it's like an administrative uh, mess up. Maybe they had no administrative system set up. And, and these dear ladies were just being overlooked. And they had no means of taking care of themselves. And, and it became known. And it's like, how are we going to settle this? Because people being people, they started to gripe at each other. And that's when the apostles said, you choose seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And let them take charge of this. And Stephen was the first one of that list of seven, and they took charge of it. They took care of it. Never heard from a problem arise anymore. So broadly put, we could say, how can we demonstrate genuine godly love and compassion in what some might consider a menial or non-spiritual task? How many of you ladies around your house occasionally have menial and non-spiritual tasks? Have, have your children, your grandchildren, your pets, your neighbors ever created situations that, that you have to deal with it? It's menial, it's non-spiritual, it would seem. But sometimes you like to just deck somebody, and, and as a result, there's not a real spiritual outcome. It might be a non-spiritual task, but it can lead to a, a real spiritual problem if you handle it in not a wise, a godly way. See, these wise ones, the ones who handle things in a wise, God-honoring way, they're the ones who take to heart the old saying, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. People who are wise in these ways are just living sermons all the time. They care for people, they take care of situations, they step in, they don't gripe, they don't complain, they don't make a big deal out of it. They just handle it and usually, frequently, handle it in such a way that they establish some situations where it's never going to happen again because they've, they've thought it through and they want people to get along. They even want their pets to be happy. So take care of whatever it was he was doing because he feels guilty about it. Just help him out. Handle it in a way that uh, is almost like people who watch you are watching a preacher preach. And you say, so that's how it goes. That's what it means. 
So these are people, these are people who walk through daily life without creating disasters everywhere they go. They assess situations well and they bring wise and workable solutions to those who are troubled and distressed. They are full of wisdom. It's obvious that they live for others rather than just for themselves. So it's a great characteristic for a living martyr to possess, for anyone who's uh, identified with Christ to possess. Here's number three. A living martyr is full of faith. Full of faith. Faith, the ability to believe, to trust, to accept without proof or demonstration. It says all by himself in verse five, they chose Stephen who is a man full of faith. Now, the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sometimes you could say without faith, it's pretty difficult to pull off anything in this world of lasting value. We don't know if Stephen ever laid eyes on the Lord Jesus personally. Perhaps he did. Perhaps he didn't. But he truly believed in the Lord. And he had given his entire life to him as the promised one who had been sent by the Heavenly Father. At this point in his life, Stephen was way past the point where he was trying to believe. Or fighting doubt all of the time. He was full of faith. Those who have died to self have also died to doubt and to uncertainty. It's a great way to live and a wonderful confidence to share with others, to just encourage them to believe. Not to read endless books to try to prove this point or that. Just believe in the things that God has clearly said. Just believe in the things that Jesus Christ has surely done. Just believe, and it's perfectly all right to say to yourself, as my mom used to say, too much of the time, us kids thought, sometimes there are things you just have to accept by faith. I thought, boy, mom's letting herself off the hook there. (laughs) She doesn't have to explain it all in great profound detail. It's just like, Mark, does the Bible say it? Well, yeah, well, then believe it. And sometimes, and it seemed to me like most of the time, these things you just have to accept by faith. Is God in charge of this world or not? Well, yes, he is. Well, then don't try to see him messing up somehow. Just believe. He's in charge of this. He has a plan. His wisdom, his guidance, his correction will come when necessary. A living martyr is someone who's just full of faith. And it's so great to have died to doubt. Probably some of you aren't there yet. You still doubt stuff about the Christian faith. You still doubt stuff about whether you're really saved. You still doubt stuff about whether God is able, capable of bringing you through this mess. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to have just died to doubt. And they say, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm believing what he has told me, and I'm going to leave him in charge of everything he hasn't mentioned. I'm just going to trust him. It's a great way to live. Number four, a living martyr is full of grace and power. Grace, spiritual energy to do spiritual things. It's a gifting from God in a ministry moment. And it says in verse 8, chapter 6, Now Stephen was a man full of grace and power. You could say, man, he was so full of stuff. How do you have room for all that stuff? But he's full of every one of these characteristics. He was full of it. He just had it to the nth degree. No wonder his name came up first. But that could be you, any one of us as the Holy Spirit who who actually built Stephen into that kind of guy can build us into that kind of a person where our name pops into people's minds as soon as they think of, oh, who, who do I know who's just full of faith? 
not battling with doubt all the time. Who do I know who's full of grace and, and just energy to serve God? May it be our name that pops up. You see, Numa himself gives to those he companions the energy and the ability to do the stuff that he calls upon them to do. He's absolutely faithful at that. It might be things that appear to be spiritual. It might be things that appear to be physical and menial. The point is, the task will get done and the Lord will be honored. And we should be willing to do any of it. Big or small. And trust God's spirit to give us the grace to get it done and to rejoice in the doing of it. Stephen knew all about that kind of grace from God and from the spirit. It said he was, he performed even miraculous signs. I believe Linda and my granddaughter the granddaughter of this congregation, Savannah Hansen, that we just sent off to Thailand, I believe she is going to experience God's grace in some eye-catching ways as she serves in Thailand this coming school year. There's going to be things happen that people are going to look at her and form some conclusions. Her students... The parents of those students, her fellow teachers, because we have looked at her, you have looked at her, others who know her have looked at her here and formed those conclusions already. There's something about her. And I believe there's going to be some miraculous, marvelous, wonderful works in the lives of people because she is one at her young age who's full of grace and power. And it's a blessing and a, and a joy to see. Fifth thing, as we move along, a living martyr has a face like an angel. Okay, here's the chance, guys. Just turn to your wife and say, yeah, well, you sure do. You sure do. <laughs> Haven't I always said that, sweetie? You got the face of an angel. Now, before we get too caught up in that... As we said last week, what in the world does that mean? Most people who looked on the face of angels fell on their face. They were scared to death. This is, a, this is God. This is a spiritual being. This is a heavenly citizen. This is someone who doesn't really even belong with us common mortals. So they said when Stephen was sitting there going to be interrogated by the Jewish leaders, they looked at his face. Obviously, Luke wrote that down so somebody maybe a couple of years later, had to report to Luke, who was there, exactly what Stephen appeared like. And Luke shares it with us. We could suggest, would that be a face that is just set and resolute, unwavering, sure and determined, confident and calm. Nowhere in the Bible do we ever have a situation where God sends some angels out and we hear the angels talking to each other and say, boy, I hope we can pull this off. Gabriel, uh, I, I, what if Mary won't listen to me? <laughs> I mean, what if we get to Sodom and Gomorrah and nothing comes out of heaven? No, angels aren't living in fear and worry and wonder. They didn't even have to die to doubt. They never had any. They're creations of God Almighty. They are servants sent forth by God Almighty to do his bidding. And you've got to say, Stephen was sitting right there on that seat, not cowering in front of the august body of Jewish leaders who could practically declare him a heretic like they had Jesus. And he'd be pleading for his life. No, he just sat there. And it was like, man, we had an angel sitting in our midst. I don't know if these guys know what they're up against. But he had a face like that. 
kind of a curious comment that that got recorded in the scripture. Why give some body language, some appearance like that? Except we all know you can tell a lot at times by reading someone's face. Usually it's a pretty good giveaway of what's going on inside their heart and mind. Stephen obviously showed no fear sitting there. Stephen showed courage and resolve and perhaps even anticipation of the opportunity to share his faith with the leaders of the nation. The look on Stephen's face might have been made, made the others in the room a bit apprehensive. He seemed to be ready for this moment, like something big was his to say. And that facial tip-off led directly to this next spirit-inspired characteristic of a living martyr, which is this. Competent. A living martyr is competent in relating scriptural truths. I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you feel competent to explain the Bible to people? Don't do that. I know you'd all have your hands up, but we don't. See, that isn't what we're talking about. The people Stephen was talking to were competent. They were experts in the scripture. Stephen was competent in knowing how the historical record applies to the reality that God's doing right in their midst. We don't have to know the whole Bible. Stephen went through a good part of the Old Testament for them. And I said last week, if you haven't read all the Old Testament or you're a little confused, read Acts chapter 7. And Stephen will walk you through the main parts of the Old Testament story and you can at least put them together in a way that uh, gets you prepared for uh, uh, the New Testament as you read that. But he shared with them the sequence and the substance of God's dealing with men. He started, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while, and then he begins. Abraham was way over in Mesopotamia. God brought him all this way to to eventually, we're in the promised land, and and he just laid it out in a a nice historical fashion. See, those who have truly died to self, those who are alive in Christ, just naturally have their minds filled with the words and examples and desires of the one they follow. They know his story. And they are at all times ready to share it. And when the opportunity comes, it just flows right out of them. Has anybody, even a little child, asked you to tell them about Jesus and you think to yourself, I have nothing to say? I have nothing to say. Or did you just start saying and told, you you could tell the whole story, how much time you got. You see, we, we need to be ready in this day and age to competently, consistently just share the simple story of Jesus Christ. His miraculous birth. His sinless life. His sacrificial death on the cross, his bodily resurrection, the real resurrection of the body from the dead, his ascension to heaven, his sending of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of his coming again in power and glory. That is the story we need to competently be able to share. And who in this room can't do that? A living martyr is one who who can confidently talk about the Lord Jesus and the story of his life and what it means and what his death on the cross was for. He died for our sins. We need to receive. And and before you know it, you've just worked yourself right into a gospel presentation. And it's simply done. You can explain it to a A third grader, right? And you can explain it to a PhD using the very same words. 
Okay, a living martyr number seven is courageous when confronting error and ignorance. This is something we might be called upon to do from time to time. Stephen got very, very powerful when he says to them, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you need to hear this. And you're refusing it. You see, there will eventually come a time when talking to an unbeliever or sometimes with a wayward professing believer when the living martyr, the talker, must point out the dire consequences of rejecting Christ and his death on the cross. It's not good enough to just talk in a way that you can stay buddies with them. There's an eternal matter at stake. Sin leads to God's judgment. There needs to come, and, and when Christians walk away and get into sin, and, and, and you're, you're believing they're saved, but you also know the Bible says God will discipline all of those, all of those that he loves. There's a time to say, listen, Listen, you're wandering way away here. There's no way that this can work out good for you. I love you. I want you. You need to repent of whatever it is. Or if it's an unbeliever, you need before you die to come to grips with Jesus Christ and the fact that he offers you eternal life, but a holy, righteous God must judge if you still have sin in your life. If you've not received forgiveness, then that's all still on your record. And the Bible does say it's appointed unto everyone once to die, and after that to face judgment. After death is too late to get right with God. And sometimes people, you know, you just got to be willing to say that, to confront them with that reality. It's not enough to just, you know, try to be a better person. Or, you know, you're not really doing things the way you ought to. Let me... A courageous confrontation, a loving confrontation. Paul says, speak the truth. Do it in love. But speak the truth. That's part of uh, uh, what might be given to us to say. The eighth thing, a living martyr is exuberant at the thoughts of entering God's presence. Now that ought to be pretty true of every believer. Delight in thoughts of heaven. Stephen says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So delight in thoughts of heaven. Sometimes our delight in heaven might be the very thing that convinces an unbeliever that they're missing out. That they know nothing about what we're talking about. They, they have no hope beyond this life. They're the ones who say, when you're dead, you're dead. And yet you're saying, oh man, when I'm dead, life really begins. Life in heaven begins. That exuberance, that delight. See, knowing those things is, is part of our story. And then the last thing. Stephen really, in many ways, saved the best to last. A living martyr is compassionate and forgiving toward one's enemies. See, even, even those that we need to confront at times, try to set straight at times, you've got to do that lovingly and compassionately because you care about them. You don't care about just scoring points. God doesn't keep score. See, the living martyr has truly embraced the truth that the believer has but one enemy in the world, and that is the devil himself. All human beings, no matter how badly they behave, are simply victims of that one enemy. They, like Eve before them, have swallowed his lie. They've adopted his view of life and reality. Some of them might yet break free from his grip by the power of the gospel. Sadly, not many of them, but some might. And some might because you have lovingly, compassionately remained in their life and spoke truth to them 
and urge them to just feel and sense the love of God that you have felt and to receive the freedom of sins forgiven and the hope of heaven like, like you have. And there will be some. There will be some that the Lord just has ready to hear those words. But all of them, no matter how they treat you, they deserve to be pitied, not hated. And so our final thought today says this. Dying for Christ is the only way to really be alive in this fallen world. So let me add to that. Like Jesus said, deny yourself. Get yourself out of the picture. Take up your cross and follow him. He's walking. He has walked straight down the narrow way that leads to life. His Holy Spirit will take your hand and say, I know that way well. Let me take you. And he will. And you will be following Christ and becoming someone that at the end of your life, the Father can say, well done. Well done. This is why I sent my son to die for you. And what a joy that will be. Heavenly Father, we pray in a world that is uh, less and less built upon your truth. And Father, we have to say this is probably within your plan. Human beings are like that. A country like ours can only go so long pretending to be your people. So we nail down a foundation of biblical truths and principles and the Ten Commandments and, and we expect people to live by them even though they don't know you. Those who do know you live by them. And the whole country benefits. But as more and more don't know you, they see no reason why they should live by all these former standards and have all these attitudes that, that formerly were common. So, Father, we pray that we might be noticeable, more noticeable than ever before as people who have died to the fleshly way, died to the sinful way, died to the selfish way, and that we're actually living God's way. And as a result, we become a blessing to them. We become an encourager to them to, to come to know the truth themselves. And whether they know it or not, we become good people to have around. So Father, bless us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with wisdom. Fill us with, with just the, the good deeds that come of following in Jesus' footprints. Well, thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. And, and may his church in this place and all around the world just, just glow more and more with the goodness of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.